The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Uh, my name is Kenko. Uh, I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo. Um, and I practice here in Northampton, Massachusetts with a small group that calls itself the Oxbow Zen Sangha. Uh, yeah, and um, I don't know if you've ever um, encountered that. You think, you think you know and you think things are going a particular way and then all of a sudden you realize, oh wait, <laughs> no, it's different. You know, and then there's a, um, a kind remark and then, you know, you adjust and you jump into whatever, whatever next needs to happen. Um, I also got to experience what it's like, uh, so, so I don't usually get to sit uh, with, with you guys on Sunday morning because the Oxbow folks have a Sunday morning sit, so there's a little bit of a, of a time conflict, which also means that um, sort of in theory, abstractly, I know that there was an email that the service on Sunday happens beforehand, but it's like, it's like, oh, it's not in my body, right? It's not in my my bodily personal experience that I know, oh yes, Sundays, Sundays are like this. You know? And then there's also a difference between, you know, looking at the, um, you know, at the Eno book and thinking, oh yeah, 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 I know how this goes, right? And then when you chant, it's like, huh, I don't think it's like this. <laughs> it's like, oh. And again, you know, you adjust or you don't, or you keep going. Um, but, you know, that's, that's one thing that I really appreciate about Zen practice. It's sort of continuously um, puts us into a position where we think we have clear plans and we know exactly what's going to happen. And then we get to watch what we do when that doesn't actually go like we think it should or yeah, but we get to jump in with, with both feet. Um, here in Northampton this morning, it, it was misty and foggy earlier, and now the sun is out and it's getting warmer and muggy and a little bit humid. Um, the, in, in the evenings, I usually take a walk around our neighborhood, and I really appreciate um, everybody's efforts in tending to their gardens and and now it's the time for the butterfly bushes to open up and and the color the deep color is just so beautiful uh, i totally understand why the butterflies are attracted to it and when i woke up this morning um, i woke up with a headache it's like oh a headache. Oh, I don't like this. So I, I took a painkiller and then it settled. And also, if, if I open up and look at what is happening in the larger world, um, it's day 144 of the invasion of Ukraine. Did we, did we think that was how that was going to go. 
Um, I talked to my mom yesterday who lives in Germany, so there are heat waves in, in Germany, in Portugal and France, um, wildfires because it's very dry and very hot and it just takes a little spark. Um, and, and, and keep in mind that effectively nobody has air conditioning. So when it's warm, it's warm. And, uh, and for me, the um, sort of coming back to the embodied sense of the summer for me, when it gets hot and humid and I feel sweaty and it feels like you're moving through the air and you can literally feel like the, the fluidity, the wateriness of it. Um, something in my body remembers um, Seshin. It's like, ah, yes, this is, this is when you just sit down and you just sweat and you can relax and it's uncomfortable and, and it's also wonderful. Right. So that's another reminder, a bodily reminder of something that has um, really soaked um, into my bones in a way. I really, I think when I don't know what to say about the reality of the world, um, I appreciate the poets because the poets have a way of saying things that are difficult to say otherwise, that we don't know how to put into words and yet, and yet they find the words. So this is a poem by um, Jean Tedonio. goes like this. If it weren't for this moment of quiet, resting in my lady's lair, I would miss hearing chimes caught in the breeze. Outside this upstairs window, drifting along airy melodies into midday blue sky with no one to care. Or ask me, why each thought tumbles to another without a punctuation break, while I practice being grateful for background tunes without titles and nowhere else to be but here this fair afternoon or being here the sunny morning. So my partner Roger and I have been, um, during the pandemic, we um, sort of developed a routine of um, in the evening, we sort of watch a show on Netflix. Um, first we take a walk and then we come back and we watch a show. So that practice, I guess, has, has, consist has continued. Um, and um, most recently we have been watching a show that is called Move to Heaven. I don't know, is anybody familiar with that? Okay. So it's a, it's a Korean show, I think it's 10 um, episodes, um, and it follows um, two 
people who are what are called trauma cleaners. Or maybe another way of thinking about them is sort of keepsake organizers. So they have a company called Move to Heaven. And, uh, and they get called when people die on their own or commit suicide or there is a violent death or there is some other reason why there is nobody to take care of their space, their stuff. Um, it's based on a collection of essays called Things Left Behind by Kim Se-byul, a Korean writer, who is, which is based on his experiences as a, as a trauma cleaner or keepsake organizer himself. And the one thing that um, really touches me about that is um, the episodes are usually centered around sort of a gentle investigation, what it is that the deceased wants to communicate to those who are left behind. So they didn't have a chance to say, oh, you know, say this, say that, give this to this person, give this to that person. So the trauma cleaners really show up um, and very respectfully say, um, we are here to help you with your final move. And, as par and part of it is really just, um, you know, taking the stuff and packing up the stuff and, um, and handing that off to somebody who's going to dump it. And there is also a yellow box that they have that they fill with things that they feel are keepsakes, are items that are important to the person who died, that may be part of what the person wants to communicate. And there are all kinds of possible stories. It's the, the, the other piece that I really appreciate the series is that it's, it's very, um, it's sort of non-linear, but sort of woven together in a very beautiful way, that there are lots of resonances. So, um, when I thought I'd, I speak about it, it sort of feels like I, I don't want to describe what is going on in a particular series because it feels like I'm sort of creating a thread that is really an end result of what I think sort of happened. Right? So I, I, I would encourage you if you enjoy that kind of thing, um, check it out. So for instance, some of this sort of fabric interaction is that um, one of the people who died was um, as a child um, born in Korea um, and was adopted, was giving up for adoption and then was adopted in the US, so was sent abroad. Um, it turned out that he had a congenital heart um, issue. So we don't know exactly how or when, but somehow um, he was given up into the foster system. And again, we don't know exactly what happened, but eventually there is sort of a photograph of his arrest. So something must have happened. Um, and, and when he came to the US, the, um, the whole citizenship paperwork was not really completed. So at that point, he gets deported 
back to Korea, a country that he hasn't lived in, speaking a language that he doesn't speak, um, with no family connections or friendships or any kind of social context. And eventually, um, the heart condition is part of what he eventually dies of. And the trauma cleaners come in and they look around. The place is a mess. There are um, empty beer cans all over the floor. Um, there is ripped out paper all over. Um, it's a mess. So what is it? How, how, how can they decide? What are the things that are keepsakes? What are the things that are important? What are the things that somehow hold a message that this person wants to send? To whom? Not sure, not clear. So one of the trauma cleaners is on, on the spectrum. So, um, and he has a lot of experience with that work. So he decides, oh, this needs to come. No, 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 you can't throw that away. All of this needs to come into the box. And then once everything is in the box, it gets carefully labeled with the name of the deceased. And the person on the spectrum also has this, a great, very demanding urgency to hand this box to someone. And the default is to family. But who is the family? When the person came back, um, the adopted um, young man, he looked for his family. Um, but um, there was a connection made, but ultimately um, the mother decided that she didn't want to, did not want to make contact. So who's the family? Where does that yellow box go? So there's a koan that speaks to some of the situations or questions for me that came up. It's case 87 in the Blue Cliff record. Medicine and disease subdue each other. And it goes like this. Yunmen teaching his community said, medicine and disease subdue each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? Medicine and disease subdue each other. It feels like my mind screams immediately, no, 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 medicine is supposed to subdue disease, period. And 
And yet when we look at the reality of old age and sickness and of death, maybe, maybe not. It says the whole earth is medicine. And what is yourself? It seems to be also the question that the, the trauma cleaners are faced with. But it looks like the self is gone. Or is it? So they really bring their full attention to the space and feel into what had value and meaning and wait for this person. Trying to feel into what message they may have for those left behind. And what is beautiful in the series is there is a self that emerges from the context, from the things, from the people, from the relationships that this person had with family, with neighbors, with social workers, and also with their own histories. As it turns out, both of those trauma cleaners were also in the in the foster system and one of them was adopted and again it's not that the surf emerges at that particular moment but it was mentioned earlier and then it just sort of it's like there is a as a fabric that that gets revealed in a way in the work that they do the whole earth is medicine What is yourself? L later this summer, I will be going to visit my family in Germany, which I'm very excited about. And again, when I go there, who I am is not entirely in my control. Like I go and I'm, you know, the son and I'm the brother and I'm like this and they're like that. And it's like, you want to say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not that. I'm not that. And yet, you know, and yet we are in a way. And when I'm um, at school, at university and I'm teaching and I even have a different name, I have a title called professor. Yeah. Is that really who I am? And to what extent is that part of that particular unique context? And here at the Zendo, I also have a name, right? Here I'm called Kenko. At school I'm called Professor. At home I'm called Volker and depending on who says the name, it's, it's a different person. The whole world is medicine. 
What is yourself? In the move to heaven trauma cleaners um, story, it's in this particular case, it wasn't clear where the where the yellow box, where the keepsakes should go. Who are the mourners that mourn this person, that have a connection to him? As it turns out, many of those ripped out pages of books, one of the trauma cleaners restores and painstakingly pastes the book back together into a whole thing and discovers a picture of a woman with a little baby on her arm. And at first they think, aha, we found the mother. And turns out it's not the mother. But it's the person who has a connection with the deceased who is the absolutely the right person to receive that yellow box of keepsakes. The whole world is medicine. What is yourself? So I'm really struck by the level of loving attention that those trauma cleaners and keepsake organizers bring to their, their service, really. And the poem by Jean Tadonio for me really points to one aspect of how to cultivate that kind of attention. So let me read it once again. If it weren't for this moment of quiet, resting in my lady's lair, I would miss hearing chimes caught in the breeze. Outside this upstairs window, drifting long airy melodies into midday blue sky with no one to care or ask me why each thought tumbles to another without a punctuation break, while I practice being grateful for background tunes without titles and nowhere else to be but here, this sunny morning. 